If you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and be turning with me to Nehemiah chapter 6. Uh, we were, we've been in Nehemiah chapter 6 for, for a couple weeks now, and, and we'll be in it today and then again next week, and then we'll close out this first section of the, of the book of Nehemiah. I'm, you, I'm sure you don't remember, but when we did the introduction, we laid out the, the book of Nehemiah breaks down pretty easily into two uh, primary sections. You have chapters 1 through 6 that deal with the building of the wall. We're going to see next week the completion of the wall. And then starting in chapter 7, there's a transition and it, and it gets to, to rebuilding the people and those sorts of things. And so, so we'll get to that here in, in just a couple weeks. But today we're back in the same passage that we're, we were in last week. It's Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 10 through 14. And we're doing this, you know, many, many series on fear here in the midst of our larger study in Nehemiah on building for the future. And last week we looked at these verses and, and we pulled out a few principles that, that showed us the truth about fear. And I gave you a definition of fear that the world uses, and it is that fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by an imminent threat to one's safety or security. And I use that as a basis to ask the question is where do you find safety and security? Because where you find it, and this is on your outline sheet, I should have had it on there last week, but, but, but I didn't, uh, so I put it on there for you this week. Where you find it, how you define safety and security is directly tied to whom and what you fear. How you view it, how you define it is, is tied to whom you fear. Do you fear the Lord or do you fear man and, and what you fear, what it is that brings real fear in your life. And if you fear man, your safety and security is more directly tied to physical things. But if you fear God, your safety and security is more directly tied to spiritual things. And it gets to our focus. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. Are you focused on the temporal? Are you focused on the eternal? Are you focused on things of this world? Or are you focused on things above? And what I attempted to prove to you last week is that true safety is found in the spiritual. And what the world tries to sell us as safety and security and how we go about finding it is much different than what the Bible has to say. And that safety is, is false. And it's fake because it's of this world which is temporal. And that means that true safety is really only achieved when you're inside of God's will, when you are informed of God's word, and then when you are involved in God's work. Because no matter what happens to you physically, if you get those three things right, then you're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ unashamed. You know, that principle, it's not a, a directly in context, but that principle is described in 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. And those verses say, herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And, and those verses, again, they have a particular context and they have a particular meaning, but there is a principle that you can pull out of here that's saying if you have a, an unhealthy and an unbiblical fear of man, you know, the Bible talks in Proverbs, the fear of man is a snare. And if you have an unhealthy, unbiblical fear, then, then one thing that you won't be able to have is boldness in that day of judgment. 
And so this is an important topic. And I want to build off of the foundation from last week. And today, I want to talk about freedom from fear. So we talked about the truth about fear and tried to lay the foundation. Today, I want to talk about freedom from it. That's, a, that's the title we have for our sermon this morning, Freedom from Fear. And I, and I think this is a message that many folks in here need today. And it's not because I have anything good to say in me, but it's because this is an issue that penetrates all of our lives at some level. No matter how much you agreed with everything I said last week, I know that you still deal with fear in some way because I do. We all do. It it is an, an aspect of this life and living in this flesh. And guess what? God knows that too. And therefore, the Bible has a lot to say about it. You know, a form of the word fear is found 524 times in the Bible. The word afraid is found another 193 times. So in just those two words, if you take fear and, 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 and every kind of form of the word fear and you take the word afraid, you have well over 700 Bible references to this topic. Like I said, the Bible has a lot to say about it. And some of those verses, of course, describe fearing the Lord, but most of them do not. And like I said, it's because fear is something we all deal with at one time or another, at one level or another. But but playing off my title last week, the truth is, is that God has equipped us to deal with unbiblical fear. Assuming you are a Christian, that is. If you're not a a Christian, that last statement doesn't necessarily apply to you. But I know that most of us in here this morning are saved. And so that means you have the ability and the resourcing at any given time to look at the things in your life that are causing you fear and be able to analyze them through a lens of faith. And so, so when I say freedom from fear, I'm not saying that you'll never feel fear again. No, that, that is part of this life. It is how the devil attacks us. And he attacks through fear, one of the primary ways. And so it's not having victory over it, freedom from it, isn't that you don't feel it. It's that you know how to process it biblically. And you know how to then view it through a lens of faith in, in, in opposition to fear. And it's the, but the fact is, most of us, or many of us, we don't do that all the time. And we have problems because we don't apply faith in those situations, in, in dealing with things that cause us fear. Or, or at least we don't till we have to. When we've exhausted all that we can do. Right? So we try to take matters into our own hands. And then when that doesn't work, you know, then we'll trust the Lord. And honestly, listen, how much faith does that take? Because at that point, you have no other option. But we, we tend to do that, don't we? We tend to rely on ourselves first and, and rely on the Lord last. But it doesn't have to be that way. And I want to show you this principle in the Bible, and then I want to look at, at and show you how that can look practically. All right, so we're going we're gonna to approach things just a little bit differently this morning than we normally do. Uh, so let's go ahead and, and open up in a word of prayer now, and then we're going to get into our study. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for your word, 
uh, we thank you for the time we have together this morning, Lord. And, and we look around and consider things that are going on in this world, as Jeff was talking about, and um, what's happening in, in Ukraine and, and, and the Russians uh, invading there. And, and, Lord, there are legitimate reasons for people to be afraid. And there are legitimate things that we deal with uh, where we can be afraid. I can only imagine, you know, what many of those Ukrainians are feeling today. And, and I'm sure it's fear. And yet, Lord, we know from your word that, that we can still, even in the midst of horrific things and, and conditions, or we can still have faith uh, that gives us freedom. And, and Lord, thank you. Thank you for that. And Lord, I, I pray that, that your Holy Spirit outlines that for us this morning, that, that you're able um, to move me out of the way and communicate clearly because, Lord, I do think it's an important topic that we all need to understand, and we want to understand it from you. We want to understand it from your word. So, Lord, please do that uh, for us this morning. I, I certainly pray that everything that is said is, is true to your word. I pray that's glorifying and honoring to you. I pray this entire service is a sweet savor for you, Lord. And I pray that, that we have lives changed uh, in our midst this morning, all for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're going to get into the book of Nehemiah here in a few minutes. We studied that passage in some detail uh, last week, so we're going, to get, we're going to get to it. But I want to start out by looking at this equipping that I mentioned, that we are all equipped to, to have freedom from fear if, if we have the Spirit of God inside of us, at least, if we are Christians, because that equipping we have comes through the Spirit of God. So keep your place in Nehemiah. I know I told, told you to turn there, but look with me in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. This is a very, very popular verse. If you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably heard this verse. We've it's been quoted numerous times over the past, you know, a couple years with COVID and all that. And it, it has a particular context for the Christian leader. It's, it immediately follows verse 6, I, again, like pointing out the obvious. But, but verse 6 talks about the laying on of hands and the gifting that, that, that Timothy had with that laying on of hands and the authority that was given to him. And that was discussed in verse 6. And then Paul follows that up with, with this verse in verse 7. And so there is a particular context for, for the Christian leader, but the applicability goes beyond that, and it's applicable for any Christian dealing with doubt and fear in their life. And, and God wants us to know, God wants you to know, he wants me to know that if we are fearful today, that comes from a spirit that is not the Holy Spirit. So what 2 Timothy 1.7 says, for, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And if God hasn't given us the spirit of, of fear, my question is, who did? Because it seems like somebody did. And according to this verse, you can't blame God. General Patton once said, if courage was a lack of fear, then he had never really seen a courageous man. Because everybody fears. And this goes back all the way, not surprisingly, to the Garden of Eden. It goes back to Adam and Eve. And what you see is that fear is related to sin from its very inception. Because we see in Genesis chapter 3 how knowledge of sin results in fear. What we have in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 10 is the first mention of the word afraid or fear. Fear doesn't come until much later actually in the Bible. But the word afraid, this is the very first mention. 
In Genesis chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, it says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Right? He had already sinned, even sinned. And then verse 10, And he, Adam, said, I, said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And so he was afraid because he had sinned. And he had taken from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so you see in the very first mention of the word afraid, its connection to sin and knowledge of sin. And obviously, if we were to back up in Genesis chapter 3, we would see the culprit. And the culprit was the serpent. So God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. Its source is Satan. And fear can immobilize you. If you've struggled with it, you know what I mean. It can immobilize you. Sometimes you go through traumatic experiences and, and it wants to paralyze you. So I want you to know today that I'm, I'm not trying to minimize anything that you might be dealing with or have dealt with or, or may have to deal with in the future. I'm not trying to minimize any particular circumstance. And I'm certainly not thinking of any particular person. But I, but I do want to look at it biblically. And to do that, you need to understand that the equipment God provides so that you can experience victory over the fear in your life. And that is the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And God gives us those three things to replace the spirit of fear. All we have to do is appropriate them. Put them to work. In our life. So you don't have to manufacture power. God has already bestowed it. It is part of your eternal inheritance available now. But here is how you put it to work. You have to understand three aspects of God's power and, and how they work together in us. And it comes from three verses I want to show you starting with Matthew twenty two twenty nine. It says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err. Not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. All right, so and he makes a connection here with his power and the scriptures. And then next, we see Romans 15, 13 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. All right, so we have power through connected to scriptures we have power connected to the holy ghost and then lastly and there's a bunch of verses we could have chosen and a bunch of different angles we would have looked at i just want to frame it in this context is it's romans 1 16 for i'm not ashamed of the gospel of christ for it the gospel of christ is the power of god unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the jew first and also to the greek so here's what i want you to understand about the power of god the power of God is related to three things. It's related to the Spirit of God. We see that in Romans 15, 13. It's related to the Word of God. We see that in Matthew 22, 29. And, we, and it's related to the ministry of the Word through the Spirit. That's Romans 1, 16. So you've got the Bible, the gospel in the Bible, and the Spirit and if your relationship is right with the Spirit of God and the Word of God, and you are involved in ministering the Word of God through the Spirit, then you could appropriate the power of God. And there's great benefit 
in being in that position, right? You don't manufacture it yourself. This is how you want the power of God in your life in, in opposition to fear is you build a relationship with the word of God. You let the spirit of God lead you through that relationship. And as you minister his word, as you share the gospel. And the power of God then becomes evident in your life. And like I said, there's great benefit in being in that position to where you're just letting God do it. And you're not trying to manufacture it yourself. Paul understood it clearly. He told us in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and he said unto me, this is God, this is a thorn in the flesh context, and Paul had asked God to remove this issue he was dealing with in his flesh three times, and this was God's answer. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Because what did Paul do? Paul just allowed the Spirit of God to work through him, through the Word of God, to minister God's Word to people. And, and man, and he had an issue in his flesh and and Paul, or God told him, listen, my grace is enough. That in, in your weakness, my strength will come through. God's power will come through, even in the midst of his weakness. You see, power replaces fear in the spirit. And it replaces weakness in the body. And through the scriptures and the gospel and the Holy Ghost, the very power of God is at your disposal. And if you have the power of God at your disposal... What do you have to fear? But not only do you have the power of God at your disposal, you also have the spirit of love. We already read 1 John 4.18 that says, Perfect love casteth out fear. But then Romans 8.15 says, For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And, and at the point that you get saved and you are born again, that new birth, God adopts us and, and we enter into this family relationship with God. And when we enter into that, we have someone to call on. We have someone to cry out to. We have someone who loves us. Hebrews 13, 6 says, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Because he knows the love of his father. You see, love and fear cannot coexist. Love and fear cannot coexist. We read that in 1 John chapter 4 in our introduction. Perfect love casteth out fear. Right, so they can't coexist, and God is love, and God is inside us as the Holy Spirit if we're saved. So if you know God, it should mutually exclude fear. Now, it doesn't for many of us because we don't appropriate it. We don't appropriate his love in our life, and we're, we're going to continue to talk about that in a little bit. But you have access to his love, and you can cast all your care, your worry, Upon him, for he careth for you. But it doesn't even stop there. The third thing God gave us to have victory over the spirit of fear is a sound mind. And of course, the sound mind is the mind of Christ, found in his word. And when dealing with fear, you need to be able to think soberly and clearly in those tough situations. 
1 Peter 1.13 says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. So, so listen, I, I love you and I want to help you out for a second. And I want you to know that good mental health is the result of right responses to Bible principles. All right, so there's a big issue with, and, and I'm not even going to get into it, separate mental health and mental illness, but if you want good mental health, it is the natural result of right responses to Bible principles. And if you didn't hear that, you need to listen better. And that's because fear is an emotional response. But emotions can be changed if you are of a ready mind to change them. And in order to get that right mind, you have to read the Bible and spend time in the Bible and think God's thoughts after him. So how do you replace the spirit of fear and renew the spirit of your mind? How do you batten down the hatches of your mind? How do you put on that battle dress uniform of your mind when you are battling the devil? When you're thinking like you ought not to think. What can you do to think soberly and not drunkenly on any issue? You apply 2 Corinthians 10.5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The obedience of Christ, that is the key. Christ says certain things in his word. You are to be obedient to them. You are to shape your thinking around the things that God has said in his word. Not around how you feel. So do not let emotions and circumstance and the devil's seed shape your thinking. When they do, capture those thoughts. Arrest them. Bring them to the Bible. If they match Bible wisdom, let them pass. But if they contradict the word of God, throw them out and change your thinking. Get back to a right sound mind. God has given it. Take advantage of it. God will guard your head with a mental helmet if you will conform your thoughts to this book. And that is the equipping. That is Everything you and I need to conquer the fear, have victory over fear, and freedom from fear in our life. If you are saved this morning, then you are equipped. But the question is, are you using the equipment? Equipment is available, but are you using it? Because now I want to take you back to Nehemiah. To show you a man who did. This is the same passage we were in last week, Nehemiah 6, verses 10 through 14. And here, this is our second point, we're going to see the perfect example. So we see the equipping. We have the equipping. I want to show you the example. Nehemiah shows us how to display that power and love and sound mind in order to conquer fear. This is how Nehemiah showed faith in opposition to fear and, and, and achieved freedom from fear. 
And listen, I'm just, I'm just using this as an, as an example because it's even more impressive for Nehemiah because he was alive in the time of the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, there was no indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You and I, if you're saved, we have the Holy Spirit inside us. We have God inside us. So that equipping is inside us. Nehemiah wasn't that privileged. So I'm telling you it should even be easier for us. But, but what we see with Nehemiah is he was able to appropriate faith. What Nehemiah had is faith. And what we can have is faith also because of what God is doing inside us. So we studied this passage last week, but let's look at it again to remind ourselves of the details. Nehemiah chapter 6, starting at verse 10. It says, Afterward I came into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetzabel, who was shut up. And he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. And let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. And I said, Shall such a man as I flee? And who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he had pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid, and to do so and sin, that they might have matter for an evil report, that they might reproach me. My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sambalat according to these their works, and on the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. So again, we talked about this next week, but, but let me just remind you of, of a few things. You can see here, Nehemiah is kind of in a pickle. His enemies, they've ramped up their uh, the, uh, attacks. They're actively trying to kill him now. From a worldly perspective, he certainly has reason to be afraid. And even though Nehemiah didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling him, he was equipped through faith. And we see his faith displayed in these same three ways that we are equipped out of 2 Timothy 1.7. That's why Nehemiah is the example. And it starts with this. The power of God is displayed through a supernatural courage. The power of God is displayed through a supernatural courage. And we see that courage on full display in verse 11. So Shemaiah, the hireling prophet, he's working in this, this plan in conjunction with Tobiah and Sanballat. And they're trying to trap Nehemiah. And so he, he, he puts together this, this lie that you know, he had to hide himself too. And that they need to go and they need to go hide and take refuge in the temple. Because that was the safe place. But Nehemiah wouldn't have it. He wouldn't have it. Look at verse 11 again. And I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. So Nehemiah, who had previously said in Nehemiah 6.3 that he would not come down off the wall, now says I will not go in. And he shows great courage in the midst of great physical danger. And he's, he's done this all along throughout this book. He never wavered in his faith. Why? Because he knew what God had told him. And he knew the ministry that God had given him. He knew God's word. He knew the mission that he had. 
And because he knew God's word and he knew the ministry that God had given him, he had confidence in that. There's power there. And that power was displayed through his courage. And for Nehemiah, the ability to do this, I think, goes back to verse 9 of chapter 6, when he asked the Lord to strengthen his hands. He wasn't trying to stand against the enemies in his own power. He was trusting in the Lord's power. He asked God to strengthen his hands. And this can be true of us as well. We can show courage in the midst of danger in the midst of a tough situation in the midst of fear in the midst of fearing man in the midst of what someone might think of us and not courage in self but courage or trust in the Lord in order to take a stand for what is right and what God had called you to do and listen we've talked about this many times before so I'm not going to belabor it but I do want to talk about it again for a second standing in the, against the devil is what we're called to do. Right? That is the command. It's Ephesians chapter 6. The command is to stand against the devil and the world because they can't hurt us. They can't cause us to sin. We make that free will choice by listening to our flesh. And the devil can try to scare you, but when he comes, you don't have to back up. You don't have to back off of what you know to be true. You can stand, stay on the wall. If he tries to entice you through compromise and this world system, you don't have to move towards it. You could stand on the promises of this book. Those enemies have no power over you unless you give it to them. And that's where the armor of God comes in. The devil can send fiery darts your way, and he does. But if you have the armor of God on, you're protected, so you can stand. James tells us the exact same thing in James 4, 7. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do you know what that word resist means? It means withstand. Which you're going to find in the same context if you were to go back in Ephesians chapter 6. And, and speaking of Ephesians chapter 6, do you remember how that section of scripture, dealing with the armor of God and standing against the devil, do you remember how it begins? Let me remind you, it's Ephesians 6.10. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's where the courage comes from. His power. That's what this point is all about. Standing against the devil and against this world, it takes courage. But we have the equipping to do it. And so we have the Spirit of God inside of us. We have the covering of Christ if we are in Christ. If you know God's Word and you know the ministry that He's given you, you can stand strong in what God's called you to do. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth. Man, isn't that true? And you just think someone's, someone's after you. But the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And we are the righteous in him. Not because of our righteousness, because of his. So as you live out his righteousness, you can see courage. But if you don't live it out, then you won't. But, but if you don't, just know that that's on you. 
Because God doesn't desire, he doesn't want to withhold his power from us. But you have to trust him. So it requires faith. And not only does God not want to withhold his power from you, he actually wants you to use it. He's equipped us with it for us to put it to use. Last week we looked very briefly at the example of Jesus standing up to the devil during his temptation, right? As he quoted scripture back to him. I want to go back there for a second and show you something related to this point. It's regarding the power to stand against the devil. It's Matthew 4.1, where the temptation starts. That verse says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So did you see that? Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to face off against the devil. And here's what you need to get from that. Sometimes it is God's idea for you to face the devil just so you can demonstrate the power you have in Christ. You get that? Sometimes it's God that leads us into the wilderness. It's because he wants you to use his power. But here's our problem. We see that as such a negative and we see that fight as negative. We see all we see are the struggles and the trial and the fear that comes with it. And that stops us. But that's the wrong outlook. What we need to see is the potential to serve God and stand victorious for him. Because again, many times in our life, the Spirit leads us into the wilderness. And he leads us into supernatural encounters with spiritual forces. Why would he do that? Because God is out to demonstrate the superiority of living Christ-like See, God does not allow us to face the devil in order to fall and to fail. He allows you to be proven so that you can prove something. He's out for you to stand like Jesus did through the temptation. That was the whole book of Job. And Satan came to God and he said, have you considered my servant Job? And he went through all that he went through. But It was God's desire for him to stand and demonstrate his power to a watching world. So try to view your battles that way. It gives you an opportunity to be courageous to God's glory. So if you're serving God through his spirit and his word, then he has power available. But you got to use it. And Luke's account of Jesus' temptation shows us another aspect of how this works. Because it goes back, if you go back to that account, you see that he goes out full of the Spirit. That's what Luke 4, 1 says. But Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led up by the Spirit of the wilderness. But look at how he returns after the temptation in verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went on a fame of him through all the region round about. You see, he returned in the power of the Spirit. So here's what you got to know. As Christians, you always enter spiritual warfare full of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is inside you. The question is, how do you emerge? And what I mean by that is we enter every temptation in ownership of all the resources necessary to be courageous through faith. But the power of the Spirit in victory is only seen when during the process you allow yourself to be led by the Spirit to rely on the Lord. That's it. But you are equipped with the power. 
does that show in your life? When you're dealing with times of fear, does that show? And then not only do we see the power of God on display in Nehemiah's example, we also see that the mind of God is displayed through a supernatural comprehension. So the power of God is displayed through a supernatural courage. The mind of God is displayed through a supernatural comprehension. Nehemiah was able to comprehend and discern exactly what was going on because he knew God's word. We talked about that last week. But look again at verse 12 of Nehemiah 6. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he had pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sambal had hired him. He perceived, he understood what was going on. He was able to think soberly and clearly regarding the situation. If he had just been focused on his emotions, his natural response would have been to flee to the temple. But he was able to think clearly because his sound mind overcame his fear. And what an example that is for us. And so I want to talk to you again about how important this is when it comes to fear. Do you have a sound mind? Again, a, 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 a fear is an emotion. And so a sound mind is critical because you do have control over it. You, you have to submit your mind to the Bible, though. According to Proverbs 23.7, we make our decisions based on our, our values or what we think determines our actions. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. So if you are a person currently dealing with debilitating fear, and I promise I say this lovingly, but, but you have wrong thinking patterns. In other words, you have a non-biblical way of thinking, and that's leading to wrong decisions, resulting in wrong actions. And the Word of God, the mind of Christ, is the solution. It is the source of change. It is what provides you a sound mind. And you have to move past toxic thinking into biblical thinking and move past toxic actions into biblical actions. You have to obey Bible principles. There's no other way around it. And it's just that simple. But it's a conscious decision. Colossians 3.2 says, set your affections on things above, not on things of this earth. And that phrase, set your affection, means to exercise your mind. So you've got to put your mind to work. And set it on things above, not on things of this earth. You have to apply Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. The Bible always gives the answer, and it starts with right thinking. Biblical thinking, because that's the source of change. You see, there are many people, and again, I promise, I don't have anybody in mind. But there are people that throughout the years, they'll come to me, they'll come to another pastor, whatever, wanting their problems fixed. But they don't want to change. And they want to keep their sinful, selfish lifestyle. And yet they want things to be better. I'm sorry you don't. You care more about your mind, what you think, and your feelings, and how you feel, than what the Bible says. And the completely mind-blowing thing, the ironic thing, is it's when this scenario plays out, that person is talking to me because their life is a mess. And it's a mess because they've been using their own mind. And I tell them what God's mind says and how they can use his mind, but they can't or they won't. 
even when it's a 100% guarantee to work. And listen, what do you think is the result of a thinking pattern that is not disciplined by the word of God? I told you what good mental health, where it comes from. The result of a thinking pattern that is not disciplined by the word of God is bad mental health. Romans 1.28 says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. You see, God will allow your mental health to go bad. He will give you over to a reprobate mind if you want to live life according to your own perspective and your own judgment in place of his. And it's a downhill slide because improper thinking leads to improper actions. And according to Romans chapter 1, improper actions lead to abnormal activities because it doesn't correct itself. You have to apply the Bible in your life if you want to win the battle of the mind. But the enemy obviously doesn't want you doing this. So that means there is always an attack on the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. There's always an attack on it. And so people don't believe that the Bible is enough. And the result is fear. It's like, listen, that, it can't work for me. I mean, it can't be that simple. I, I don't think the Bible deals with my situation. Well, Nehemiah gives us the example. Know God's word and apply God's word and you don't have to fear. And you don't have to sin. That's what he said in verse 12. Because as we've already learned, sin and fear are connected. But there's one more attribute that we found out of 2 Timothy 1.7 that allows us to have freedom for fear, and that's love. And we see this displayed in Nehemiah 6 as well. So third, the love of God is displayed through a supernatural comforter. Because Nehemiah doesn't try to take things into his own hands. He doesn't seek personal vengeance against his enemies. What he does is pray. Verse 14, my God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sanballat according to these their works. And on the prophet is Noadiah and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. And this verse is interesting because it, it indicates there is a conspiracy against Nehemiah among the prophets, including a prophetess named Noadiah. And, and this very likely would have created a, a great deal of pressure on Nehemiah. But the, the Jews had great respect for prophets. So Nehemiah was outnumbered and outnumbered by those in a position of authority, those who were supposed to be speaking on behalf of the Lord. But he stood his ground. And he was a layman opposed by the professional class. And yet he refused to give in. And what he did instead was he prayed. And he turned it over to the Lord because he knew the Lord cared. He knew the Lord loved him. And it's interesting because he asked the Lord to think upon his enemies. And we talked about this some last week. We're not going to rehash that. And we talked about how there is a difference in how God protected Israel and how God protected in the Jews in the Old Testament versus how he deals with us in the New Testament. And, and we don't have time to go into a lot of the details. But, but God still protects. He still cares for. He still loves. Um, he is focused more on the spiritual today. But, but he still does love us in this way. And this verse gets to whether, and this, this stuff is just interesting to me, because this verse gets to whether it's okay to pray against our enemies. And you certainly see it more in the Old Testament, but listen, it happens in the New Testament too. When Paul was near the end of his life, look at what he prayed in 2 Timothy 4.14. He said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. 
the Lord reward him according to his works. So he prayed against his enemies too. But here's the thing about these references. The prayers of Nehemiah and Paul, they just asked the Lord to consider their works. Consider their works. And that's a prayer God will answer. And you can get comfort in this. I promise you, you can get comfort in this. Because that's exactly what God intends to do. Speaking of the judgment seat of Christ, this is how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 3.13. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And those guys knew that vengeance belongs to the Lord. That is what the Bible says. As much as we wish that verse wasn't in the Bible, sometimes it is. But they were praying God's word back to him. And that provided them comfort. And he just pray, hey, consider their works. And God will. Because they knew that God cared. And can I tell you that God cares about you too? And if you have faith in God and the word of God, then you can have a comfort that is supernatural. Because you have a comforter that is supernatural. And it's supernatural because it originates from God's love. And yet the sad thing is many Christians are walking through this world today with no comfort at all. Just fear. And there are a few reasons why this occurs, but one being a lack of faith, that's not surprising. But you also need to understand this morning that when it comes to the love of God, there is a battle. Satan has worked feverishly throughout time, throughout history, throughout our lives to convince us that the Bible isn't true and that God doesn't really love us. Because if he did, there wouldn't be viruses and there wouldn't be wars and there wouldn't be cancer diagnoses and there wouldn't be job layoffs. So our view of God and his, and his love for us is attacked. And it's attacked from many angles. Many of us in here come from families or have been in relationships where, where that true godly love wasn't seen. It comes from our world. The world certainly doesn't show us what true love, what biblical love is about. All we see in, on TV today is, you know, in, the, in, a, in a reality world, uh, the world that we live in today is, is just lust. Lust replaces love. And so then love becomes based on what I can get out of a relationship. And then I think at the end of the day, I think many of us, we just know ourselves. And we know how dirty our lives can be. And because of that, there is part of us that just thinks, surely God can't love me. And Satan's plans have worked because at times this leads to us feeling unloved and even unlovable, which we carry over into our relationship with God, even if it's subconsciously. And so we end up with no confidence in who we are in Christ and what it truly means to be a child of God, and therefore we live in fear. But listen, here's what you need to understand this morning. When you feel that way, you're just bringing God down to the level of your unloving parents or unloving spouse or society in general. And we shouldn't do that to God. God is God. He's able to see us, all our flaws, and he still loves us in spite of ourselves. Romans 5a, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, God wants you to find comfort in him. When the enemy is fighting against you, take it to the Lord and keep plugging away on the wall. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he said this in verses 15 through 17. 
Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Paul said that God's love for us should comfort our hearts and then establish us in every good word and work. Should bring us confidence, but then also provide us the motivation needed for consecration to God, for service to God. In our example, the prophets were against Nehemiah. He just kept working. He just kept working. And I want you to notice in verse 14, just look there on your Bible, back in, in verse 14. He says, My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Samballot according to these their works, and on the prophets Noadiah and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. He didn't say he was in fear. They tried. And you see that throughout. There's one place in, in, in chapter 6 that said, Made us afraid. He was talking about the, the Jews in general. Every time he talks about himself, it's phrased that way. They tried, they were working at it. But I just trusted in the Lord. There didn't have to be. He didn't have to succumb to that fear, and he didn't. Because he knew some things. He knew that God's power was available. He knew that God's words are true. And if he just stuck to God's words, you have God's backing. God's words are settled forever in heaven. They are truth. And you should get comfort from that. You should get comfort from God's love. Last week I ended with Romans 8, verses 38 and 39, just talking about the love of Christ. I want to read those verses again. He says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We read that last week, but this morning I want to bring your attention to how those verses begin. This is going to be the key for all of us moving forward from here and attaining freedom from fear and a life of faith opposed to fear. And it's four simple words to start verse 38. For I am persuaded. It means he had faith. You see, Paul was a persuaded man. He said that in 2 Timothy 1 uh, verse 12 also. For I know whom I am believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And he was persuaded because God himself had confronted Paul on that road to Damascus, and he was never the same. And we see all throughout Paul's writing just how persuaded he was. One example is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28, where he just keeps talking about all the things that he went through and how persuaded Paul was. Forty stripes saved one five times, Three times he was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was three shipwrecks, a night and the day in the deep, and journeys and robberies and all sorts of things. That's how persuaded Paul was. He was willing to go through that and keep on building. They couldn't whip it out of him. A night and a day floating in the sea couldn't wash it out of him. They couldn't starve it out of him. They couldn't even freeze or shame it out of him because he was persuaded. And so was Nehemiah. Tricks and conspiracies, death threats, none of it moved him off the wall. And it's not that he didn't feel fear. 
I'm sure he did. But he was free from it. He had victory over it. Because he had faith. And that faith showed itself in power and in love and in a sound mind. And there's victory there. They were persuaded that it was true. So let me ask you this morning. Are you persuaded? Do you believe? Do you have faith? Are you walking after Christ's love through a sound mind and in his power? Or are you just fearful? And here is the reason why that is so important. It is because fear is such a powerful hindrance to the work of God that it can send someone to hell. There are people when confronted with the truth about Christ and the truth of God's word still say, I don't know. What will people think of me? What if my family doesn't like it? And they fear man more than they fear God. Well, here is what the Bible says, Revelation 21.8. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's a bad list. But do you, do you see the first one? The fearful. Is that you? If so, will you quit fearing man and give the Lord your life this morning? If you do, you will have nothing to be afraid of after today. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. And as we bring this service to a close, again, I just want you to consider that God speak to you this morning. I want you to take this time just as seriously as you took the past hour. I don't want you to check out and start thinking about lunch. I want you to allow yourself to be examined by the word of God. And I want you to ask yourself if God's word spoke into your life this morning. Is there something that you need to get right with him? And if so, will you do it? Are you living and walking in fear? Do you need the freedom that comes from his power and his mind and his love? Man, if so, why don't you grasp it? Why don't you take it this morning? Take the steps necessary to get right with him. And we're going to close out this service by this singing one final song. And we're going to talk about being led to the cross. And laying our life down for his. Do you need to do that this morning? Do you need to get saved? you need to quit being fearful of what others think of you and just come down and give your life to Jesus Christ? Why don't you do that during this song? You can accept Christ as your Savior and be saved today by just letting him know that you're a sinner and asking him to come into your heart and into your life and save you. And if you have questions about that, we'll have people around. We can talk to you. We'd love to do that. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we just thank you so much for your word. And, and Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we can have through fear, the, the equipping that we have available to us. And thank you for the example that we're seeing throughout this entire study on Nehemiah and just the faith that he had to do what you called him to do, to know your word, to trust in it, to, to, to live a life that is glorifying to you. Uh, through the work that you called him to do. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you as Savior today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit's convicting them right now to, to, to lay that fear down and take the steps necessary just to get saved today. Lord, thank you for loving us. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.